Welcome to a ballot fraud edition of the Earning Hope podcast. This is your host, David, and today we're going to talk about ballot harvesting and the effort that has been made during this election, which is not unfounded or uncommon, to shift votes and do voter suppression. And for once, it would appear that the surveillance state and the government have got have gotten ahead of it. So this election is going to be secured. I'd like to reassure people. We will end up with a fair election. But nobody's going to be happy because the level of foolery that has been taken that's been taking place during this election is on a scale that has not happened in the past. They had over 500,000 votes or 500 million uh excuse me, 500,000 votes thrown out in the last election, thrown out. And those ba- that was infuriating to a lot of people. And in this election, they had record numbers of ballots, mail-in ballots requested in places like nursing homes. Now, I got a call prior to the election from, from a phone bank operator, somebody who was calling on the behalf of the Biden campaign. And this person was elderly. And I had a great conversation with him. He was a sweet old fella. He didn't have anything bad to say. He was just, he reminded me of my grandpa. He was a sweet old guy. But somebody had filled his heads with, with concerns that do not affect him as a voter. And he was, bless his heart, you know, campaigning for the candidate that he wanted to vote for. But he was talking to me about his biggest concern being deep fakes. So I gently introduced him to the idea that the election itself is at more risk from basic hacking and that our government right now has been manipulated by private interests to what appears to be try and break even a tie in which they can nominate their preferred candidate for president and vice president through the Congress and the Senate which means that there was probably a colluded effort and and a lot of lobbying money spent and a lot of hands shaken in the background to usurp the Constitution and override this election. Fortunately, there are people that thought this up because for at least five or six years they've been having an event called DEFCON in which people do white hat hacking and investigation into this sort of stuff. And in one of the events that they have is called the Election Village, in which they research every single voting machine that's used to count or tabulate votes and suss out every single potential hack, whether that be a physical hack or an attack on the machine or a software attack or a, or a manipulation of the machine that can be detectable or undetectable but is there nonetheless. Well, they've got a laundry list of these things. And if you know anything about our government, if that's public information, you can imagine that there is a bunch of things we don't know about this election and we don't know about those machines. I'm just a journalist outside the military and have not been in the military for years, a decade. But before I was in the military, I used to fix and service computer systems as one of my jobs. I have loaded hundreds, probably thousands of computers with Windows operating software. I maintain a curiosity with open source software like Linux and all these different things and programming as a language, but I'm not a subject matter expert on one particular language or another. I look across languages and read through syntax because just like the English language, you can speak and read these things and you can tell you can see what the program is intended to do just by reading the lines of code and they're just like sentences in English but they they use numbers and they use shorthand and all these different things things that are made much easier for you to hold on to after military service where everything is an acronym and everything is down to serial numbers and nomenclatures so after working on computers and then going in to working on my own in, in, in doing these things and being in the military, I learned about the hacker side of things and the, 
the fact that hacking isn't just software. It's all about exploiting computer systems to to get around security features and do things like that, or any mechanical system. Our elections are no different than a big mechanical system. It's a network, and there are all the individual polling places are nodes in a network. And so that means that using statistics and math and implementing various processes that you can use to shift people's opinion, you can scientifically shift votes. So if you were to, say, have a COVID-19 scare and mass deploy healthcare workers, which are predominantly union jobs, into nursing homes to re-educate the elderly on why they should vote for a particular candidate, and then mass ballot harvest, that's a way for you to take advantage of an entire population that voted for Trump in, in large numbers in the last election. And if you were to request those, those ballots in numbers that are historically unseen, both of, both of these things happened during this election, you could use that to shift an election or to attempt to shift an election. But even with that, it might not be enough. And so there are other things that have been going on, and even though the mainstream media is not reporting that to you, it will come out. It's being federally investigated, I guarantee it, and any attempt to file lawsuits from the other party will allow for discovery because we want the truth. So we also want to have it fair and counted. When I say we, I mean the American voter, the American veteran, any person who lives in the United States who is part of the voting electorate. Everybody agrees on that. We want it to be a fair count at a fair election with no mistakes, absolutely. But everybody who is participant in this attempt at fraud on the left side of the House, again, this is coming from somebody who voted for Obama twice and is a registered Democrat, and I stood in a Democratic caucus and watched a room be shifted by the polling officials to give undecided votes to the Democratic candidate of their choice, even though in that state, that Democratic candidate was defeated by 10 points. And that happened everywhere that there was a Democratic caucus. That person won the nomination across the country in 2016. But the Supreme Court ended up deciding that Hillary Clinton should have that vote because that's what the Democratic National Convention wanted, and they have the right to choose who, whichever candidate they want to be the primary candidate, not the one that the voters chose to be the primary candidate. This is all stuff that came out in 2016. So it's not unfounded hearsay or a mystery how it is that a national-level election could basically mirror in the nomination process what happened in 2016, except they had a much wider field and so they were able to do opposition research into what all of the individual groups within the liberal side of voting wanted. Progressives, people who are independent but tend to vote liberal, maybe Republicans who are thinking about voting Democrat instead of voting Republican in this next election. All of these things were focused on, like a focus group, scientifically, and in no uncertain terms, they have it down to a very accurate science using things like the internet, which are more accurate than polling in many cases, they can, by search results and all these different things, understand what people are thinking, even if they're not talking about it with their friends and all of this different stuff through psychological research. This is how they do marketing to us. So they can report that information to independent groups and contractors who can then go ahead and act on trying to shift the election and implement strategies, various strategies that have been known for over five years now, in trying to shift the election. But historically, they've never had that much ability to do that. Thank God they got ahead of it. And so any of those things that went on are most likely going to be busted and caught. I would wager that we see scams that we have not seen in elections before in this election come out. Whether or not that will shift the vote, I have no idea. It's, not, it's irrelevant to me. The threat to the Constitution 
and the threat to the American voting population not having their right to choose a candidate is the primary concern that, that I have. As a, as a person who volunteered to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that is my primary concern. I have personally sent sort of hateful tweets at the President of the United States about things like reporter's privilege. Now, I sign up for uh, text notifications from both parties, and that way I can get information about what they're both trying to do in order to woo voters over to their side so that I can, with both ears on, understand what's happening and then see it happening in front of my face, not just on the mainstream media. Then I can go out there and I can sort of tune in to what's being done and how that's being manipulated. And so when I, got, when I signed up for one of the, the text notifications for the Trump campaign, for example, I told him the pardon Snowden. <laughs> now, that was a joke, but I think that after all this kind of stuff, I think that maybe there may be a, a, a demographic of people in the military and in the government that will finally see that what he did was actually rather heroic and necessary. Again, that's an extreme position for people who don't believe in, that, that believe things like loose lips sink ships when it's been ruled on by the Supreme Court that the NSA's mass surveillance program not only was unconstitutional, but doesn't work. And so he did his oath to the Constitution by defending the Constitution against unwarranted and tyrannical mass surveillance on American citizens, which has never actually helped bust crimes. Not really, on, on terrorism anyway. It has been used primarily by independent contractors to carry out more strategic business practices and to manipulate the, vo the voting population, but also the population of buyers and to know how it is that they can more accurately scare people under a thing like COVID-19, for example, and how they could use that narrative in order to skew the voting demographic. And probably one of the most disgusting cases of this that involves a Supreme Court justice who is not named, a person who lost a family member to COVID-19, supposedly. They reported the death as COVID-19, they died in a nursing home, and then they did not believe that that's what actually caused it because this person had Alzheimer's and they needed to be cared for regularly and have like fluid sucked out of their lungs because of the fact that Alzheimer's patients sometimes forget to breathe and forget to swallow correctly. The neglect in care from this patient is actually what killed them not COVID-19, but it was marked down as a COVID-19 death. That was a Supreme Court judge or justice that, that had that happen in their own family. So these aren't unfounded hearsay that those things are happening. It's happened to people who are in the highest courts in our government. So it's definitely a problem. And in those same nursing homes during this election, they requested more voter ballots than any other time in election history so that they could do ballot harvesting for these same people who are being neglected in nursing homes where COVID-19 is running through them and taking people out according to the numbers and what's being reported in the mainstream media to, so that they could take advantage of this situation to shift an election. If that doesn't hit you right in the face with how disgusting that is and, and why it is so important that this actually be addressed and taken seriously. If you're a Democrat who heard me say that just now and it doesn't make you feel sick to your stomach, you need to check your values because those are our elders. There's an African proverb that states, whenever an elder dies, a library burns down. Okay, That's absolutely foundationally true in every society on the planet. We lose so much from our elders in our society, and to have them be scared into voting one way or the other and not vote their values because of things that are being used in the same way they used the threat of nuclear weapons in the 1950s to scare people to hide under their desks and all these different things during the Cold War. These same psychological tactics were used on your grandparents in order to scare up votes for Joe Biden 
It's, it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. Now, I'm not going to get into the debate about whether or not that's a real thing or not, but I do know this about COVID-19. It is a military operation that was going on called Dark Winter once upon a time. They studied this in, in the case shit situations where they looked at what would happen if we had a global pandemic. They've done that a couple times over the last five years. And so our current response to this is what was supposed to happen, but it's being manipulated and abused by private interests and by people in the government for political reasons. And that has led to probably one of the biggest voter fraud scandals we'll see in American voting history next to things like the 1930s when they stole the Democratic nomination from Wallace under FDR. And this is things that there are way back. They basically implemented every strategy that's ever been used to steal an election and to shift an election. All the dirtiest tactics you've ever heard of in this election to take out this person that they absolutely hate, this orange demon human that they've de decided is the, is the representation of all the evils in our society. And he's kind of playing a part. He's actually playing a character, mostly. <laughs> and there's other people in American history, in pop culture, that have looked, acted, and talked exactly like him. There's Morton Downey Jr., okay? There's a lot of them are, are comedians, people that, that acted this way, this brash way. I mean, Sam Kinison, uh, all these different kinds of characters. They're purposely antagonistic. It's, it's the jester who gets up there to have rotten tomatoes thrown at them on purpose. And so whatever it is that the issue is that's going to create vitriol, I, I don't agree with this process necessarily, but it is a good way <laughs> to expose weaknesses in a society and to m maybe force an intellectual argument where one would not have been had before, where people might have just ignored a situation. And so the next videos that you're going to listen to are covering all the things that I just talked about in this first 20 minutes of this, of this podcast. And these are people that are, uh, there's a tech guy at the end talking about how the ballots are shifted and reading it from an NPR article. There is Tulsi Gabbard talking about before this election how they were trying to pass legislation specifically to eliminate the voter harvesting process being corrupted because there are not rules against manipulating this in other states. A couple states have already passed laws to keep this from happening in a negative way, but not every state has that. And so these situations can be used against not just the elderly, but they can be used against minorities, they can be used against people who in poor communities in order to discard votes, in order to purge the election system by either party. And so in this case, the demand for a, a fair count and an equal count being an equal precedent being given to everybody's ballot is, is legitimate, coming from both sides. The problem is there are people who some of them may have taken it upon themselves to try and shift the vote, and some of them may have been acting for money. And these are all things that have happened in the past in our voting system in various places at the local level all the way up to the national level. And it needed to stop. Our voting election system is not certifiable at the world level. We are the laughing stock of the developed world with our voting system. And this was always going to be coming to a head at some point. It's not a surprise that it happened under what some people consider the most infuriating president in American history, even though arguably he's mainly a comedian, even if he says things you don't like, and he actually has been doing things like getting soldiers out of the war zone, drawing us down out of conflicts in the Middle East that were illegal that we shouldn't have been in in the first place. Nobody ever talks about that. Why? Because you don't actually care about that. And so... You don't, what you don't understand is how those are done for profit and how the same people that do wars for profit are the same people who want to shift the election and manipulate and rig it. And so essentially, just like Venezuela and Bolivia, a group of people decided they were going to try and coup the American election system this cycle because Trump was a threat to them being able to go into war in Syria, for example. So here's some more information about that. 
your death certificate shows you had COVID-19. I mean, I just buried the, I just took that a little while ago from uh, Long Island National Cemetery. Uh, I want to say COVID, when I say home, I said, assuming just because I just wonder what the mm-hmm. point of that is So this is a case where someone was said to have had it, and then afterwards they checked, no COVID-19. guy made like a special call for the autopsy chief supreme court justice mm-hmm. wow mm-hmm. basically every civilian that comes across our death now has covid on it even if people aren't tested if they have a cough and they have a flu symptom it's basically concerned uh, basically uh, considered covert wisconsin had many cases of voter fraud and suppression happening within nursing homes in the 2012 election. Here's a newscast covering that here. Nursing homes in Wisconsin seem to have been a hotbed of voting irregularities during the November election. Election observers spoke about what they had witnessed at the Government Accountability Board's December meeting on Tuesday. Six residents wanted to vote in their rooms when SBD went with the facility employee to the room, but the SVD was not allowed to enter the room, and the employee assisted the residents in filling out the ballot, which was in violation of Wisconsin Statute 6.875-6-C-1. An aide came out and handed these SVDs several ballots and said, um, I watched these people vote and I signed my name and I asked, I said to the SVDs after she left, because they were complaining about another observer that had confronted them. And so after she left, I said, is this something that you can do? Is this legal according to Wisconsin statutes and according to GIB rules? And he assured me that it was. Well, it's not. It's not legal according to the statutes, nor according to your rules. The concerns about the process, however, remain. They are inconsistent training, lack of ballot security, concerns about non-eligible assisters, lack of adequate notice of the voting for both family members and observers, lack of a uniform method when presenting a ballot to voters, require the ballot to be read to them, and a real lack of privacy for these voters. Back in October, the McIver News Service reported how Patty Longston told her mother's nursing home not to worry about getting an absentee ballot. It had already been taken care of. The nursing home got her mother a ballot anyway. 
On Tuesday, Longston told her story to the GAB. So I asked to go to the uh, director's office. We sat down and discussed the situation. And um, I, I mentioned to them that my the problem is my mom was already registered to vote. I'd taken her to the city hall to vote. And um, how, how were they able to register her to vote again? Her response was that upon receiving the note, she went to the city hall, filled out the paperwork with the deputy clerk, and um, registered my mom to vote, and an absentee ballot was issued. This was the first time the GAB was hearing about many of these issues. Local law enforcement? Correct. No, I wasn't aware I was supposed to. Did you file a complaint on this with us? I did not because I knew I was coming here today and I would have papers. Okay. Did you file anything with the Milwaukee Election Commission? I did not. Okay. This is my first time I'm learning. Did you file any complaint with the Milwaukee Election Commission? Uh, we were. Absentee voting? Yes. Not to. Who told you not to call uh, We were informed by a local representative that was one of the other voting uh, observers that lawyer representing your group or what have you? No, he was, uh, uh, this lawyer was, I believe, representing the presidential, the Republican the presidential. Okay. Typically after past elections, the GAB will take what it learns from these reports and incorporate it into corrective training for future poll workers. For the McIver Institute, I'm Bill Osmolsky. Here's what was happening at a nursing home in Chicago leading up to the election this year. Let's find out more about this. WGN's Gaynor Hall is at the nursing home and tells us other residents are also asking, where's my mail-in ballot, Gaynor? Yeah, Ray and Micah, we talked with this resident who says he has been waiting and waiting for his mail ballot. And he says the confusion is frustrating. We applied in the first week in September for um, to um, get Uh, 74-year-old Stephen Chiswick is a disabled veteran who lives at Landmark of Richton Park. Due to COVID-19 restrictions at nursing homes, he says 165 residents applied to vote by mail. We were waiting for our ballots, and they still didn't come. Chiswick has called everyone he could think of. First, he was told the ballots weren't mailed yet, then that they were mailed earlier this month. Finally, today, he says he got an email saying the ballots will be dropped off on Thursday. We are operating under a court order that we will be delivering ballots to the facilities, uh, and we will be doing that this Thursday uh, from 9 a.m. to noon. Employees of the clerk's office will be making deliveries to the administrators of each of these uh, nursing facilities. The ballots will then be distributed. And then once the ballots have been voted by the residents, uh, they will be returned by mail. We've also given the residents and the facilities the option of using our drop boxes. At a press conference this afternoon at the Elections Operations Center in Cicero, Cook County Clerk Karen Yarbrough said suburban Cook County is on pace to shatter all previous records. My office has received more than 550,000 requests for mail ballots in this election, which is five times greater than 2016. I voted even in Vietnam. Chisick says he never misses elections, and he's not going to start now. I don't care who you vote for, whatever, but uh, it's it's something you learn, it's precious, and, and, and I'm not giving it up easy. So again, county officials promising those ballots will be delivered on Thursday. Chiswick says once that happens, a nursing home director will be able to deliver the completed ballots to one of the county's secure drop box locations. Reporting live tonight from Richton Park, Gaynor Hall, WGN News. Here's Tulsi Gabbard talking about legislation they were trying to pass prior to the election to try and avoid this incident with ballot harvesting and voter suppression. Hey everybody, we're getting closer and closer to election day now and it is critical to remember that the strength of our democracy lies in the integrity of our elections, that every one of us has to have faith that our vote will count 
But right now, there are still many states in our country that allow for something called ballot harvesting. This is a, a system that allows for third parties to collect and deliver ballots for other people, potentially large numbers of people. Unfortunately, ballot harvesting has allowed for fraud and abuse to occur by those who could tamper with or discard ballots to try to sway an election for or against a certain candidate or party. Now, our vote is our voice. So whether in the midst of a pandemic, as we are now, where mail-in voting is likely to drastically increase, or even in a normal election, no one, no one should get in between a voter and the ballot box. Now, while some states have prohibited vote harvesting or ballot harvesting, many have not which again allows for abuse from third parties collecting and mishandling ballots. This is something that we've actually seen happen in recent elections. Now, to protect the integrity of our vote in our elections, I've introduced legislation called the Election Fraud Prevention Act with my friend, Representative Rodney Davis. Our bipartisan bill protects the chain of custody for every one of our ballots by prohibiting funding from going to states that allow this practice of ballot harvesting to occur. This bill will actually encourage states to stop this practice that's ripe for fraud and that poses a serious threat to the integrity of our elections. We urge our leaders in Congress to take up this legislation quickly to support and ensure the integrity of our elections. So why would legislation be important in order to upend this loophole system uh, that can be overlooked? Well, something you need to know about government officials and election officials and anything anybody that works in the, in the structures of government in general is that they're sort of like a non-playable character that you have to interact with in a video game, if you're familiar with that concept. In what I mean by that is that if you don't ask them the specific series of words in the right order, they'll just say, I'm not sure what you mean by the question, and they will avoid it. It's avoidance is a tactic. And so it's they're all studied in this. They have scripted responses and all these different things that adhere to legislation in such a tightly fit way that there is no way for them to function without that. They are basically just cogs in the machine, and that's both a defensive tactic and an offensive weapon in the case of election season. So with that in mind, here's a segment with Eli the Computer Guy, a technology commentator on whether or not ballot harvesting actually is an issue during this election. You know, one of the biggest problems with Trump derangement syndrome is every once in a while he actually has a point. Now, the reasons he gives may be a bit of horse crap, but he might actually have a point. But the problem is, the problem is when you're in the throes, when you're in the throes of Trump derangement syndrome, you just can't ever give him an inch. So you've got to say anything that he's saying is completely and utterly wrong. Not only is it completely and utterly wrong, but it is so stupid. It is so moronic. It is so pathetically banal that it should not come out of a president's mouth. And then the problem that you get into is, again, maybe if he has a point, possibly for the wrong reasons, you have just put yourself into a situation where you've kind of painted yourself into a corner. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, this is interesting. Hey, guess what? Hey, guess what? There might be problems with mail-in ballots. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So we've been hearing this for a little bit, a little bit now. We're basically with COVID, with coronavirus, a lot of states are pushing for basically getting everybody to, to vote with mail-in ballots. Why, why have everybody come physically to one location, have to worry about people getting infected the whole nine yards when they can just do mail-in ballots? Now, Trump, Trump has come out and he said mail-in ballots. If there's mail-in ballots, there's going to be fraud to a degree we've never seen before. 
Europe, dead people are going to be voting, illegal immigrants are going to be voting, the whole nine yards. And he's really, he's really emphasized that, that whole thing. And so, of course, the course of the Democrats, the Democrats, and their, their epileptic, you know, derangement uh, syndrome uh, fever or whatever, basically have screamed. And they said, this is ridiculous. Mail-in ballots are fine. It'll be okay. There are no problems. This is just Trump trying to do something stupid with the election. Uh, the problem is, the problem is, there might be some issues with mail-in ballots. There might be some significant issues with mail-in ballots, and those significant issues may actually hit the Democrats harder than they hit the Republicans, and the Democrats have basically painted themselves into an argumentative corner, which I think is kind of interesting. So we're going to go over, we're going to go to a right-wing rag. I know, I know a lot of times when I, when I show you... Uh, uh, webzines, you know, when I'm doing these videos, you know, I, I try to I try to stay as fair and balanced as possible. But you know, every once in a while, every once in a while, to get the really good information, I've got to go really right wing, like all the way, almost up to the Daily Stormer. And I have to say, today, as far as right wing mags go, we are going right up to the edge of the Daily Stormer. That's right, we are going to be looking at. NPR, National Public Radio, brought to you by granola and toilet paper that is so scratchy you never actually want to use it. Uh, yeah, this is actually coming from NPR. Ah, this is hilarious. Uh, uh, and this, again, August 22nd, 2020. So this is not some, you know, 10-year-old thing that I'm taking out of context. More than 550,000 primary absentee ballots rejected in 2020, far outpacing 2016. <laughs> An extraordinarily high number of ballots, more than 550,000, have been rejected in this year's presidential primaries, according to a new analysis by NPR. That's far more than 318,000 ballots rejected in the 2016 general election and has raised alarms about what might happen in November when tens of millions uh, of more voters are expected to cast their ballots by mail, many of them for the first time. Oh my God, are you, are you saying that there might be problems with mail-in ballots? Uh, they give a breakdown here, so total rejected. So Arizona is not too bad, 2,500. Arkansas, really good, uh, 383. Look at this, California, California, 102,000 ballots were rejected. Kentucky at 32,000 ballots. Maryland, my home state, at 35,000 uh, ballots rejected. New Jersey at 34. New York, New York State had 84,000. Pennsylvania, 37. Washington State had 95,000. Wisconsin down at 23,000. So these are the number of ballots that were reject rejected. So to again, be clear, these are people that fill out their ballots. They send their ballots off to the election commission, and the election commission goes... <laughs> They did that to 550,000 ballots. 550,000 American voters had their votes literally thrown in the trash for mail-in ballots. It's just funny sometimes. <laughs> Here's the problem. This is the thing. Like with the Democrats, right? It's okay to argue against Trump. It's okay to push back on Trump. It's okay to say Trump is a dummy dumb every once in a while. But here's the problem. When you come out so full-throated and you say the mail-in ballot system will be fine, this is only Trump trying to destroy the process. The problem is then if there are actual issues... You put yourself into a corner because either that means either that means Trump was more or less correct all along and you were on the wrong side. You're never going to admit to that one or you box, your, box yourself into a corner where you're going to have millions, most likely of ballots literally thrown in the trash. <laughs> Oh, election experts said first-time absentee voters are much more likely to make the kinds of mistakes that lead to rejected ballots. Studies also show that voters of color <laughs> and young voters are more likely than others to have their ballots not count. Most absentee or mail-in ballots are rejected uh, because required signatures are missing or don't match the one on record or because a ballot arrives too late. And again, that's an interesting thing, thinking about uh, your signature on record. Um, I had a problem with this. So um, my wife and I, we went to Thailand uh, back in 2016. And one of the weird things was I had these old uh, American Express uh, uh, traveler's checks. 
old-fashioned type of technology. I had like about $1,000 in these. So one of the trips I took to, I did Europe years and 20 years ago or whatever. And so before a lot of the tech that we use is as prominent as it was, you know, traveler's checks was a useful thing. So I had these traveler's checks. Um, and I had signed, I had actually signed the traveler's checks years ago just to do whatever. And the weird part was, is then when I tried to cash them in 2016, my signatures no longer matched. My original signature did might not match my new signature because guess what? Over a decade had been in between uh, when I had initially signed them and when I was signing them to actually cash them in and actually ran into all kinds of issues because when you're doing something over a decade, things change. And so like with driver's license or with uh, voter registrations or anything, if you have a signature on record and for whatever reason your signature has changed over the years, you may literally not even think about it. Again, you don't, you don't think about how your signature modifies over the years, but literally because your signature has changed since whenever you register to vote, your vote literally might not count. Ah! <laughs> or because the ballot arrives too late. Quote, if something goes wrong with any of this, that's a problem we're at large, but it's also going to be one that hits some populations of the United States a bit harder than others, potentially disenfranchising different groups of folks at higher rates. Um... Griffin said so far about a quarter of those who voted in person in the last election say they plan to vote by mail this November. The same is true for those who have never voted before and will be casting their first ballots in this year's election. The numbers compiled by NPR are almost certainly an underestimate since not all states have made the information on rejected mail-in ballots available. Even with limited data, the implications are considerable. NPR found that tens of thousands of ballots have been rejected in key battleground states where the outcome in November for the presidency, Congress, and other elected positions could be determined by a relatively small number of votes. For example, President Trump won Wisconsin in 2016 by almost 23,000 votes. More than 23,000 absentee ballots were rejected in the state's presidential primary in April. More than 37,000 primary ballots were also rejected in June in Pennsylvania, a state Trump won by just over 44,000 votes. The numbers are also significant. This is the best part. This is the best part. The numbers are also significant because of large partisan differences in how Americans plan to vote this fall. Democrats have expressed more interest than Republicans in voting by mail, 47% to 28% of the Democracy Fund survey. 48% of those who intend to vote for Joe Biden say they will use mail-in ballots compared with 23% of Trump supporters. Um, let's see here. Uh, for their part, Democrats are pushing widespread mail-in voting, but are also concerned that many of their uh, voters' ballots could be rejected as rules aren't relaxed. They're in court, and more than half the states fighting to extend mail-in ballot deadlines and waive a witness and notary requirements. Curious. They also want voters to be given the opportunity to fix errors before their ballots are rejected. And so this is this is where we're at. <laughs> this is where we're at. Ah! You know, sometimes sometimes you gotta go on the deep web, man. Sometimes you got to go in the dark net. You got to find those those dirty, nasty people there. They're, they're right for those horrible right-wing publications like NPR.com or NPR.org to, to really try to understand what's going on in our world. But basically, this is just a very curious thing where if you look at the standard process, what we find out, what we find out is the process that we've been using isn't actually that good. I think that's one of the funny things. Like, again, there's, a, there's this idea in people's minds that things just work right things just work it's magical of course everybody should use mail-in ballots because mail-in ballots work eli mail-in ballots work if mail-in ballots work then what is the argument against using mail-in ballots um my question do we know that they work we assume that they work, but but literally, think about it for a second. If, if we're talking about absentee ballots, and we're talking about a normal year's absentee ballots, you can probably throw away all of that year's absentee ballots and still come out with a pretty fair election. Right Again, when you think about the percentage of people using absentee or mail-in ballots versus the people that are actually going to the polls, the reality is, is the number that are actually mailing in their ballots may be so small that even with those issues, it doesn't really screw with the election. And so it's never been brought up that there are horrible, nasty, god-awful problems with the system. But what's interesting now is so there's this huge, massive push. Like, okay, well, we need to use mail-in ballots more. And then the weird part here, again, the weird part is, again, Trump. Trump is keep pushing. He keeps pushing. You know, go in person, in person, in person, in person, in person. So he's telling all of his people to go in person to vote. The Democrats and Biden, he's telling all of his people mail-in. 
mail-in works. Mail-in works. Mail-in save. See, we we are the we are the party of science. We are the party of the intellect. So you should do mail-in ballot. But think about this for a second. If they're talking about this many rejected ballots, and you think about this on a national scale, imagine if far, far, far more Trump voters actually go and walk in to a polling station and actually uh, do their vote that way versus the number of Biden voters who are going to be elected, who are going to be voting, doing mail-in ballots. If that percentage is massively skewed, and and then you think about the problems, again, they talk about the disadvantaged people for whatever reason their ballots are normally thrown in the trash, more likely anyway, you may really get a point where Trump wins this election because the Democrats were so forcefully uh, pushing for mail-in ballots that have problems, that have problems. This is why I, I always argue for systems. Again, a lot of people get mad at me because I don't, I don't argue for morals. I don't argue for ethics. I don't argue for one side or the other. This is why I, I always argue for systems. If you create a good system, a good system will carry you through. Again, from that old military, paramilitary stuff, trust your equipment, trust your equipment, trust your equipment, trust your equipment, right? Basically, if you don't trust your equipment, then when you're in training or when you have downtime, get your equipment in order so that you do trust your equipment when when you need to, right? It is very important. Trust the process. Trust your equipment. Trust all of those things. Those things will carry you through the day. If you have garbage equipment, if you have a garbage process, it doesn't matter what side of history you're on. It doesn't matter what your morals or ethics are. Things can go sideways really quick. So, uh, so I thought this was curious. Again, I'm not... I'm not one of those people that's been a huge fan of uh, Trump, you know, talking about all of the, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the fictitious votes or whatever. There's a, there's a million illegal votes or whatever. I'm not one of the people that actually is on that bandwagon. And so I was, I was surprised when I saw this, when this came across the, across the table that NPR is talking about the last primary that just happened, 550,000 ballots thrown in the trash. You really got to think about what will happen with this election. And is that enough to actually throw the election? And then what the hell happens? Holy crap. You thought people were pissed before. You thought people were pissed before because Trump won the electoral college without winning the, the popular vote. Again, that's its thing. I will remind people Hillary Clinton went home. If Hillary Clinton had wanted to argue, if she had wanted to fight, I would have been for that. She did it. To be clear, to be clear, she packed her crap up, went home, and then about a year later started writing all this nasty stuff, right? So if you imagine how people lost their mind when he did win the Electoral College, even though he didn't win the popular vote, what would what would happen this year if he won, like, the election simply because the process was so utterly flawed? And what if... A majority of that process being flawed was literally what the Democrats were pushing for. Can you imagine that for a second? Again, imagine the the diehard, the true blue Democrat or whatever, the, the social believer, right? And basically the Democratic Party pushes these people towards a flawed system. Because they use that flawed system, Trump gets elected again. What's interesting about that is the people are not going to be happy about Trump. Let's be clear. They're not going to be happy about Trump. But who are they going to be even more pissed off at? Who are they going to be even more pissed off? If you voted and you find out yours and everybody you know, you know, your votes went in the trash can because the system was so bad and the people that were supposed to be supporting you pushed you towards that system, there's going to be a massive amount of hate towards those people. Again, it may it may not be the Republican Party that, that people should be concerned about. Again, it's kind of funny. Like I think that's one of the funny things, like looking at politics. Like for years now, years now, it's like, oh, the Republican Party's got to do this. Oh, the Republican Party's got to do that. And the Republican Party keeps like muddling along. The Republican Party keeps doing what it's doing. The weird part is, is it seems like the Democrat. It seems like the Democrats are literally like. Digging their own grave. At the, at the same time, they're like, well, what the Republicans need to do. It's like, you guys have many more problems inside your house. <laughs> if, if you were looking at a cohesive party, 
I mean, it, it makes good news, right? It makes good news. It's good for CNN when there are the, you know, Republicans against Trump, Republicans for Biden, right? That makes good news. But if you really look at it, it seems like the Republicans are a far more cohesive party. And again, with the Republicans, there's a lot of people that, that hate Trump, but Trump's not really a Republican. Um, let, let's, let's be completely clear here. Trump is not really a Republican. So when you have Republicans against Trump, it's not Republicans against the Republicans. It's Republicans literally against Trump. But if you look at the other side, if you look at the Democrats, you have a lot of Democrats that are basically against Democrats. (laughs) You look at the AOCs, you look at the Bidens, you look at so many people that are that are up and coming in the Democratic establishment. And it really seems like their biggest enemy is the Democratic establishment. So I thought that was funny. That's that's what I do for you. I go I go into the deepest, darkest sides of the web. I'll go all the way to NPR.org to to find the info they don't want you to know. So, anyways, what do you think about this? What do you what do you what do you think about this asinine situation? What do you think about Trump derangement syndrome? Do you think Trump derangement syndrome is terminal? <laughs> Will Trump derangement syndrome <laughs> kill the Democratic Party? What do you think about all this? What do you think about fighting so hard? What do you think about this when people get so much tunnel vision, they get so fixated on hating somebody that they end up leading their side down a very dangerous and so as Eli, the computer guy, lays out for us there, there are people that are in some states are requesting them to waive the notary public and uh, witness requirements for ballot and ballot counting. And <laughs> at the same time as we're requesting to certify the election as being legitimate, and they threw out over 500,000 American voters' ballots in the last election. So is there any indication that that might be happening during this election in any of the contested states in such a way as that it might be being nefariously used to rig an election against the American voter, mind you? Not necessarily against Trump, not necessarily against Biden, but against the American voting base so that the Congress and the Senate can choose a president from the Democrats for the, for the Congress and the Senate choosing a vice president who's a Republican. So, again, I have to remind you that in my state, in Colorado, I witnessed them in the Republican Party, use it with the help of Americans for Prosperity, rig the state to, to shift to Ted Cruz even though people were overwhelmingly in support of Donald Trump. And then they, I witnessed them straw poll a room and try and shift a vote to Hillary Clinton in a state where Bernie won by a significant point advantage in the nomination process. So it, as it happens, politics doesn't always just start at the top and come down. Sometimes it starts at the local electorate in various places and they test individual tactics and then they try and take them to the national level and that is exactly what appears to have happened in this election cycle and so it's crucially important that if you're a democrat take a deep long breath and understand that this isn't about your politics or your emotional standpoint this is sort of like they're asking you to vote for an internment camp or an internment camp They're asking you to vote for a gas chamber or a gas chamber. That's not really an exaggeration because the people that are supporting this usurping of the Constitution, they invest in things like private prisons and the military-industrial complex in a ways to cause illegal, sustained wars for decades. So, as I mentioned at the beginning, if if you stop winning coups in other people's countries they might decide to coup the American government to get that back on track. And so it is a crucial thing that this election process be constitutionally adhered to in this election. It is crucially important that everybody take a deep breath and realize that in Pennsylvania, this is happening. We've just got done going through 
the two garbage bags that we obtained from Bucks County Board of Elections out of the dumpster. Um, this is some of the uh, ballot paraphernalia that we've discovered. Um, you can see some signatures from some voters here. Um, some, looks like they, these ballots they spoiled on some of these. We have some pieces here. Um, a number of envelopes with signatures. A couple full ones too. Some more down here. Just to reiterate, this does appear like an official ballot, and the rules were not followed correctly, right? That's what it looks like to me. Fair enough. What reason would someone have to not follow that process? Ignorance, not knowing, not understanding, brand new law. So there's a detailed process in place, yes. and this clearly shows that the process was not handled. Yes, the, whoever was the judge of elections didn't do it correctly. The poll workers did not have thrown it in the garbage. Is it legal to throw it in the garbage? I do not know if it's legal to throw it in the garbage, but it should be sent back to us. And so we can hold on to it for at least 22 months. Where does the spoiled ballot ultimately end up at the end of its life cycle? Uh, it will be stored for two years, and then it will be shredded. We can just kind of start over with the spoiled ballots as to what happens with them once they become spoiled. So they become spoiled and they're right spoiled on them and they're going into a spoiled bag um, that's kept in the warehouse after election day for a period of time. And I did talk to someone, I believe it's three years, that we have to um, hold on to them. And then nothing gets thrown out. I believe after the period, they get um, shredded, but I'm not 100% sure on that. My name is Richard Hopkins. I am the postal uh, employee who came out and whistle blew on the Erie PA Postal Service, uh, Postal Office. I am... Um, Right at this very moment, looking at a article written, written by Washington Post, says that I uh, fabricated the allegations of ballot tampering. I'm here to say that I did not recant my statements. That did not happen. That is not what happened. And you will find out tomorrow. And I would like that the Washington Post recant their wonderful little article that they decided to throw out there out of random they were grilling the hell out of me how are you feeling right now i'm kind of pissed i feel like i just got played and i heard him say to the supervisor that they messed up yesterday that they and i was so i was like oh, what did they mess up on and uh, he told the, the supervisor that um, they had uh, postmarked one of the ballots for the fourth instead of the third, because they were supposed to hit uh, put them for the third. And so let me let me make good on that promise right away. Okay, this storm is getting crazy. Right? And it's, it's out of a lot of people's control. And so the reason they called me in is to try to harness that storm, try to reel it back in before it gets really crazy. Okay? Understand. Because we have senators involved, we have the Department of Justice involved, we have yeah. all the lawyers' teams gotten a hold of me. I, I, I'm not, well, I am actually, I am trying to twist you a little bit. Because in that, believe it or not, your mind will kick in. Okay. Um, we like to control our mind. And when we do that, we can convince ourselves of a memory. But when you're under a little bit of stress, which is what I'm doing to you purposely, um, your mind can be a little bit clearer. And we're going to do a different exercise, too, to make your mind a little bit clearer. Okay. There you go. So, but this is all on purpose. Roger. I am not scaring you. But I am scaring you. It seems like they were trying to make me distrust y'all. And at the same time, it, it, it kind of affected. But at the same time, I was like, no, nah, these guys have had my back since the get-go. So I, that's why I continued. Do you think these federal agents have your back? 
At this point, no. Helen. Do you think these federal agents are really interested in investigating fraud? Honestly, I don't think they are. And in fact, you heard Weisenberg tell a supervisor they were backdating the ballots to make it appear they've been collected on November 3rd. You still stand by that? Yeah. Yes. In Pennsylvania, the statute states that ballots are to be kept for 22 to 24 months according to both state and federal law. So in at least that one case, there is valid evidence for voter suppression. So in summation, we need to stop doing this whole debunkery thing and allow the process to go forward patiently because a lot of the people who are reporting evidence of voter fraud or potential voter fraud are working within the systems intended to actually catch voter fraud and suppression within the government, within the polling places, within the post office. All of these things are intended to catch it, and so that's what's taking so long. If there is evidence of people purposely taking longer to count the votes and things like that, it, it may seem like that's unusual, but it's actually not. And it's COVID-19 time, so everything's been taking forever. Why would this be any different? So with all that being taken into consideration, this is the Earning Hope Podcast signing off.